I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The report we make is that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be the president and the vice president. We did it. We did it, Joe. You're going to be the next president of the United States. <laughs> it's one of the great days in American history. To restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. Hello, and welcome to Battle for the Soul of America a three-part series from the New Statesman's World Review that examines the first year of Joe Biden's presidency. We will be judged, you and I, by how we resolve these cascading crises of our era. He promised a new era, a chance for America to heal, not only from the pandemic, but from four years of Donald Trump and the divisions he stoked. We will rise to the occasion is the question. Will we master this rare and difficult hour? Will we meet our obligations and pass along a new and better world to our children? I believe we must. I'm sure you do as well. I believe we will. I'm your host, Emily Tampkin. And with a range of expert guests, we examine whether three pillars of Biden's campaign promises, foreign policy, immigration, and voting rights, have held up. Thank you for joining us. Let's begin. In our second episode, we look at Joe Biden's record on immigration one year on. When Biden assumed the presidency, he inherited an immigration policy from Donald Trump that was punitive and often criticized as excessively cruel. We're going to build the wall. We have no choice. We have no choice. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. Just hours after he was sworn in, Biden passed several executive orders that attempted to wind back some of the more draconian elements that Trump put in place. We're going to work to undo the moral and national shame of the previous administration that literally, not figuratively, ripped children from the arms of their families. But despite the relaxation of some harsh measures, the fair and humane immigration system he promised on the campaign trail is proving a huge undertaking. You said on the campaign trail that you were going to restore the moral standing of the U.S., that you were going to immediately end Trump's assault on the dignity of immigrant communities. Given what we saw at the border this week, have you failed in that promise? 
And this is happening under your watch. Do you take responsibility for the chaos that's unfolding? Of course I take responsibility. I'm president, but it was horrible what to see, as you saw. On the U.S.-Mexico border, officials say the number of people attempting to cross hit its highest level in 20 years. Vice President Kamala Harris told Central American migrants, Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. But her words have not deterred people from making the journey to the United States. Neither have the harsh conditions to greet them upon arrival. But how far has Biden moved away from Trump's immigration policy? I'm joined first by immigration journalists Tanvi Misra, an independent reporter who is based in New York City and writes about migration and justice for a host of publications, and Adolfo Flores, who covers immigration at BuzzFeed News. Both have been covering the Biden administration and are here today to discuss the big takeaways of Biden's immigration policy in his first year. Tanvi, Adolfo, thank you both so much for, for being with me today. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Adolfo, I want to start with you. So you and I briefly worked together at BuzzFeed News and you, during the Trump administration, did so much work documenting the, the human cost of Trump's migration policies. Trump's migration policies were thought of by many as some of the the cruelest parts of the Trump administration. And certainly over the course of the campaign, Biden sought to differentiate himself from Trump by saying, oh, I'm restoring the soul of America, including through pursuing different immigration policies. Have we actually seen different immigration policies now that Biden has spent a year in office? At this moment, we are not only kind of back to where we started at the beginning of the Biden administration, uh, with some differences, uh, but I think we've actually, when it comes to asylum seekers, the Biden administration is doing more than what the Trump administration has done. Um, and, and, and I'm saying this specifically about one policy, which, which is the Remain in Mexico program, uh, which is something that the you know, President Biden, when he was campaigning, promised to end. So the, the, the Remain in Mexico policy, officially known as the Migrant Protection Protocols, is this um, program where Asylum seekers and immigrants at the border, you know, when they when they were on U.S. land and asked the U.S. for um, asylum, were told, "Okay, yeah, we'll start your immigration case, but you're gonna have to wait in Mexico during the duration of those, however long it takes for a judge to um, adjudicate." And you know, they, they were being sent back to some of the most dangerous, you know, cities in Mexico along the border and expected to travel there at you know, four in the morning, five in the morning to attend uh, hearings on the U.S. side. And it was just, it, you know, it just put like people in these very dangerous situations. Like, and they're well documented um, attacks, rapes, extortions, kidnappings. So Biden promised to end it because he called, he called it inhumane. Mm -hmm. He stopped putting immigrants in this program and even allowed some of the people in it who were in Mexico come into the U.S. and complete their cases here. Now, because Texas um, and I believe Missouri filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration asking them to bring it back, that they have so far been losing it in court, they've had to restart it. The Biden administration says it was forced, but they did this thing where not only did they restart it, but they've expanded the like group of people who could be included in this remain in Mexico to the entire Western hemisphere. Right. So I want to pick up on this point because there are some who say, well, the Biden administration, it wasn't their choice. It was brought to the courts. They had to reinstate it. 
Tanvi, can you speak a bit about the reason the Biden administration is indeed culpable in this? Yeah, I mean, so Adolfo kind of walked us through the context of this policy. And I think there are limiting factors here. Of course, the courts did limit or sort of um, tie the hands of the Biden administration in some ways. But then there was nothing in that court decision that Adolfo just talked about that said that they had to expand this policy to the entire Western, Western Hemisphere and put all of these other categories or you know nationalities within this policy that were not there before. So it's actually an expansion that no one <laughs> asked for and no one, like there was absolutely no need to do that. The second sort of major critique that's come out of this is that there was some leeway even within the uh, constraints of the court decision you, for example, negotiate something with Mexico. If Mexico said that it would not receive these people, then, you know, they wouldn't be able to do this. That's like something that a lot of advocates have brought up. And I think the third thing uh, would be the fact that while all of this is unfolding, the administration, the Biden administration does come out with a new memo. So the court order specifically talked about the way that they had ended this policy. Uh, towards the beginning of the Biden administration. The problem wasn't the policy itself, but the way that they had ended it. So they tried to, you know, come out with a new memo that tried to end the policy a different way. And what a lot of critics say is that they could have written that memo in a way that gave them a little bit more power to, to end the policy now instead of waiting for the uh, decision to kind of lapse and the, you know, sort of waiting for this program to keep going on until a different court decision. Um, so those are some some things that people point out, some holes in this like argument that, oh, they were completely constrained. They had absolutely no choice in the matter at all. Something that I heard even before this lawsuit was sort of making them do it was that people at the White House wanted to bring, bring they wanted to bring back Remain in Mexico already before mm. they were being forced to do it. And so, you know, it, it just also kind of bolsters that that argument of, you know, they, they keep saying our hands are tied. But some people were already wanting to bring this back. And then the expansion that you didn't have to do. I guess my question is, is why, right? If you campaign on implementing more humane migration policies, why do you then turn around and do this? Is it, is it that you don't think that there is political support for reversing the policy and keeping it reversed? Is it that this isn't a priority for Democrats? Is it that Democrats don't want it to be seen as soft on immigration? Like what, what do you think is is the driving force here. A lot of this has to do with like the optics, especially at the border. A few months ago, yeah, August, I want to say August or September, you had thousands of Haitians, right, who, who showed up at the Texas border and they were put into this bridge and it just looked, it looked really bad. And, it, and it's, it's like images like that that I think has made the Biden administration, you know, seem tough because they want to appease Republicans or conservatives, but at the same time, they've just managed to piss off everyone because <laughs> they're all like all the advocates and the you know, attorneys and Democrats are also upset about this. And so, I I I don't I don't know I actually don't understand at this point if he's trying if the Biden administration is trying to win any sort of political points on immigration. I don't think that they are succeeding. Because no matter what they do, the Republicans are going to say that they're soft on immigration, right? Like yeah. over the summer, they essentially had the same policy that Trump had and were still accused of letting everybody in. So it's it's sort of like, well, why, you know, you're, you're never going to win hardliner points. Why bother? Yeah. 
Right. Um, Tanvi, Adolfo pointed out remain in Mexico. Are there other policies that have remained in place from the Trump administration that, that you think are notable or that you expected to see repealed or reversed and, are, and, that, and that are still in place? Yeah, there are so many. But I think specifically at the border, Adolfo mentioned um, Remain in Mexico, which is, you know, just restarted. Uh, uh, so it seems very top of mind. But I think throughout uh, the Biden administration basically refused to, I mean, they didn't even ref- like try to lift uh, Title 42, which is this policy that the tr- uh, Trump administration put in place on sort of citing public health reasons. So it was after the pandemic, and this was March 2020. And, you know, the, the argument was that this will prevent spread of the coronavirus. And, you know, a year and a half later, of course, other travel restrictions have been lifted. And now some of them have been uh, reinstated, of course, with the with the new variant. But um, a lot of the travel re- restrictions have been lifted, but this particular ban is still in place, and it was never lifted by the Biden administration. And to you know, just to lay out what this does, it al- allows border officials to turn back migrants, including those who are wanting to re- request asylum, without ever allowing them the process to actually do that. So, you know, you're supposed to, according to U.S. refugee law and international law, allow people to at least least go through the process where they can make their case, you know, maybe go in front of a judge, etc. And all of that has been just kind of circumvented and people are being, you know, sent back to Mexico or other places uh, where they may potentially and in some cases have faced harm. So um, that policy, you know, has been, that's been criticized pretty much this entire time. There's been some like talk sometimes that, oh, we're going to lift it now. We're going to lift it in a few months. There's, there's, we're considering lifting it, but it's never actually happened. And we should say that that after uh, Title 42 was, was invoked, was put in place, reporting came out saying that within the Trump administration, this was not motivated by health officials. This, was, this came oh, from yeah. people who wanted to put hardline immigration policy in place and saw this as an opportunity. No reporting that I have seen has suggested that actually we need this for pandemic purposes or for health reasons. Right. No, and even if you look at like all the reporting sort of shows is that it, the, the the rationale for it doesn't make sense because you have cases where they were, you know, uh, detaining people uh, in South Texas that would hold them for a few days in the U.S., fly them to, you know, uh, San Diego so they can expel them there to Tijuana. You know, they hold them there on the U.S. side still and then send them over. So it's like if you're worried about the spread of the coronavirus and like, why are you moving people around within the U.S.? You know, and, and more recently, you have like people like here in Texas, uh, the, the, the governor has this operation called Operation Lone Star, where they're arresting immigrant men for state like trespassing charges. And sometimes they're held for months in state prisons in the U.S. Then they get sent to CBP. Customs and Border Protection, and then they're expelled uh, under Title 42, right? They're, they're sent back to Mexico under Title 42. So, like, the, a lot of the reporting with, like, the, the rationale is just not there. Right. And then there's also, like, public health officials and doctors who've kind of, you know, sent letters and, and talked about how this is not really. And, in fact, CDC officials recently, there was some reporting that came out who said that there is actually no rationale behind this. Like, you know, it was an enforcement policy and never a public health policy. But on the same at the same time, Adolfo would, would confirm this. Like, we, whenever you 
sit in on these press conferences and you're on these calls, the one thing that's a that's been continuous from the last administration to this one is that they keep saying that this is not an enforcement policy. This is a public mm-hmm. health policy, you know, without ever really directly answering questions about evidence or any sort of anything backing up that this has actually helped in any way. You two are focused on immigration and migration stories. Um, there has been a lot going on this year between the pandemic and, and attacks on democracy and everything else. If you could pick out one story or one narrative from the past year about the Biden administration and immigration that you think has gotten overlooked by many people or that you think listeners of this podcast might not have been aware of, what would it be? I had a lot of friends who during the Trump administration were so, you know, at least trying to be very well versed in mm-hmm. in immigration policies, they're up in arms and very upset, right? And then, uh, you know, on, with Biden, they just kind of like, oh, think it's better, you know? And I'm just like... Because it's a Democrat, uh, so they assume... Right. I mean, this is like what we've been talking about. And we've been covering how it's kind of the same, if not sometimes worse, mm-hmm. uh, or like, you know, more expensive. You know, I just, I, to me, like, it's so interesting how you know, public outcry is what uh, sometimes, you know, sort of drives immigration policies. And, and you had people who were very involved, and at least paying attention and, you know, do something. Um, and all of a sudden, they're not. And, 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 and I think it is right, because, oh, there's a Democrat in place, so I don't want to go against my, my, my you know, my party. Uh, but or I, the rhetoric is less openly hostile, even if the policies themselves are as hostile. To me, it's interesting how these policies have continued or continued or expanded and they probably will. And then I think a lot of it has to do with like the public's interests. And and I'm just kind of curious as to why specifically, like, I, I don't know, like, like I have my guesses. Can you give us your guesses? It, it's that, you know, Biden is my candidate. Um, I don't want to, you know, ruin his chances or also fatigue. I think people are just tired too. Like this is not like a happy bee, <laughs> right. you know, this is not like these topics are usually not um, optimistic. And then laziness sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So the overlooked, it's its not that there's been one overlooked immigration story. It's that immigration is now an overlooked story. Tanvi, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I would say like, you know, um, during the Trump administration, it was something that Trump himself brought up so much that mm. it, it did become the big story because he made it the big story. It was the thing he talked about. And so, so I think it was, um, you know, sort of on people's radars more that way too. Trump was an easy villain, right? I mean, and I think one thing that I would, I would add to sort of the reasons that um, Adolfo already talked about is like, I think a lot of people who were opposing Trump's policies, you know, most, um, most obviously the separation of the of the, of the children um, at the border, although that was certainly not the only policy, uh, you know, remain in Mexico's, as Adolfo documented, probably inflicted just as much suffering in, in a lot of ways. So um, I think all of these people that were opposing all of these policies, I think may also find it very uncomfortable that they might be complicit in electing someone who is now keeping those policies in place. You know, and I mean, I can imagine that's not a comfortable feeling. And so you can, it's easy to kind of just like dismiss it. And I think that might be playing into this a little bit as well. But I think, you know, something that kind of, again, related, not a specific overlooked thing, but I find it very fascinating that only some of these extremely egregious 
like these peaks, you know, in the in the in the injustice and the and, and sort of the human suffering that happened because of all of these policies, like break through uh, a certain threshold of like in the news cycle and and make it to like a wider audience and and like. I feel like the daily injustices, because they are so shrouded in all of this extremely dense, like, Mm -hmm. regulations and, like, you know, um, laws that are extremely confusing, processes that are very, like, away from the public eye, I think they just get lost. They often Mm -hmm. get lost. And I think that's happened across uh, administrations. So, yeah, I mean, I think as journalists, like, I've I've been very curious about how to change that but I think it's both like the fact that you know everyone's sort of tired and and all the discomfort and everything and then also the fact that there is just something specific about immigration coverage that seems to be getting lost. The only other thing I was going to say in terms of like stories that we might, might be missing is because the border is always like such a flashpoint uh, for you know on immigration coverage and I think there's been a lot of really good work done on looking towards the interior of the U.S. and immigration, but I think there definitely needs to be more, you know, like whether it's um, ICE detention, visas, like that never gets, like, in my opinion, enough coverage. It's just not sexy enough. <laughs> it's Yeah, it, it, it is hard to make them, like, right, sexy. Yeah. And and, uh, and so, but I, I think that there's, like, a lot of really good stories there um, if we take the time. And it is very complicated, but that's my other two cents. Um. So before I let you both go, my question is, we're wrapping up year one of Biden. As we head into year two of Biden, what do you think will be a big immigration story? Is it climate and migration? Is it um, just the continuation of these draconian immigration policies? Is it is it visas not being processed? What What is one story in particular that you will be watching as we head into year two? Well, I'm I'm definitely going to keep my eye on how like... Omicron and sort of COVID continues to really affect immigration in particular. I mean, it's it's really um, kind of devastated the immigration channels we have. I mean, Adolfo was talking about processing. 60% of the consulates are still closed or like only processing emergency visas. So there's like this total devastation. There's like a net negative you know, immigration to the U.S. for the first time in years. So I'm going to definitely keep an eye out for that. And then the only other thing I would say next year, I think the Biden administration will have a chance to make some regulatory changes. And again, this like goes into a territory that's extremely technical and not that sexy. But there there are a lot of ways in which you can change. And in fact, one of the big ways that the Trump administration changed policies was through regulation. And so this is an area where the Biden administration can really use to change asylum policy, for example, to broaden sort of the criteria and reverse some of the some of what uh, the Trump administration has done. But I'm curious to see if that actually ends up happening, given, you know, sort of what we talked about, about optics and, and the way that they want to be perceived. The one thing that keeps coming up, and this is border reporting, like it, it is climate change. Like it is interesting just hearing from immigrants about how they've been sort of forced to move around because of that. But I, I always get stuck because it's, you know, we don't have like anything under like our laws for like a climate refugee. Mm-hmm. So all you can have like all this climate driven devastation back home that is well documented and valid, but like that still doesn't qualify anyone for asylum. 
but like I think we'll see people from countries that we don't normally see in such high numbers come because of climate change. And I would be curious to sort of see if, if there's any kind of like push from within the US, you know, from the Biden administration or even from lawmakers to, you know, do something that may help, you know, people in this situation, because they're just kind of, there's really nothing for them. Mm. And all of them just have nowhere to go. I mean, this, if it's not an issue now, like it already is, right? But it'll be a bigger issue in like five, 10 years. And so that's something that I think about a lot because, you know, it, I don't think it gets enough coverage because I do think we tend to cover it from a lens of asylum. And then you just go, well, that doesn't qualify as asylum. And that's right. So, you know, what do you do? Both stories worth keeping an open eye and ear out for in 2022. Tanvi, Adolfo, thank you both so much for, for being with me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Coming up, we know the president has so many tools, right, in his power because we saw past President Trump use those tools every single day. Part two of this episode, where I'll be speaking to activist Nancy Meza from the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services, or RACIS, about fighting for immigrant and refugee rights in the Biden era and how it differs and doesn't from Trump. Subscribing to The New Statesman helps us keep making podcasts like this one. You can get 12 weeks for just one pound a week. You'll get access to all our reporting and analysis on global affairs, as well as in-depth coverage of U.S. politics in the magazine and online at newstatesman.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
I'm joined now by Nancy Meza. She is the National Organizing Director of the Refugee and Immigrant Center for Education and Legal Services, or RACES. Nancy, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me and for covering this really important topic. Of course. So one of the ways in which Donald Trump's presidency stood out was his draconian anti-immigration policies. And President Biden was quite critical of them back when he was candidate Biden. And part of his you know, battle for the soul of America was about reversing some of these immigration policies. We are now one year into the Biden administration. Has he reversed those policies? You know, has he has he restored the soul of America in the immigration realm? What I would say is that President Biden has a lot more to do and a longer way to go to really reverse all the harm that was done during the Trump administration. And I say that because I've been doing immigrant rights organizing for over 10 years and I began my organizing um, due to the rapid growing deportation machine that was created under Obama, right? Mm -hmm. Which uh, President Biden oversaw. Um, So for us in the immigrant rights movement, um, you know, we're very comfortable (laughs) ensuring that we continue pressuring um, President Biden to keep his promise, right? He he himself, right, made a lot of promises in the campaign trail. Um, As you mentioned, the majority of the promises was that we were going to have a different approach to immigration, right, than President Trump. And as Raices, we're not seeing policies be reversed fast enough. As Raices, you know, we're not seeing the current president um, even engage in litigation strategy to enforce immigrant rights, right, and to protect rights of refugees and asylees. So I would say that there is definitely a lot more to go, right, that President Biden um, has not kept his promise to the immigrant community. Um, And although, right, the political landscape is different, right, it, it isn't as chaotic as it was right in the the past administration there's still a lot a long way to go right and how we treat immigrants and how we respect people's um right for example to seek asylum right so i think you make a really important point which is that although trump and you know white house advisor stephen miller were more full-throated in their approach to immigrants certainly having an approach to immigration that comes from a standpoint the, the privilege is not human dignity but but speaks the language of national security. That did not start with Trump. So uh, just a few more questions for you. One is, what are the policies that you think are in most desperate need of being reversed as we move into the second year of Biden's administration? Yeah, one of the policies that needs to be reversed ASAP um, is the Remain in Mexico policy that actually just got reinstated by President Biden, right? And what Remain in Mexico um, says is that in order for an individual to claim asylum, they need to do it not in the United States, right? They need to put in their claim for asylum in Mexico, right? Which is not the United States. That is extremely troubling because that is challenging the very notion of asylum. Asylum means that, you know, um, if you believe you're unsafe where you're at as a human person, right? As a human being, we all have the right to seek safety where we see fit, right? And the asylum process is already so complicated, right? That as, you know, as Raiz says, right, we do a lot of legal services and legal representation. It's extremely difficult for attorneys and service organizations to support folks seeking asylum when they have to, you know, do it in Mexico. And it's not as if, there's infrastructure set up for folks to do that, right? We're talking about 
individuals, families, mothers, children, folks fleeing environmental disasters, right, fleeing, fleeing political persecution, having to wage their claims of asylum in makeshift camps that aren't fit to support human beings, families who need that support. Um, that would be the, the biggest policy that needs to be overturned because that is a Trump era policy, mm-hmm. right? That the Biden administration is in a weird way, just standing firm, right? Mm-hmm. In their in their, in their their implementation of it. Um, I would say the, the other biggest promise that President Biden made, right, was that there would be kind of a relief from deportation, right? And also a pathway to citizenship. There is possibility of some immigration language to be put into the budget reconciliation process, right? But as immigrant rights organizers, as Raices, we know the president has so many tools, right, in his power because we saw past President Trump use those tools every single day, right? Um, And, you know, one of our biggest, demands as as Raiz says for President Biden is to use all the tools at his disposal because we're not seeing, um, as you mentioned, that commitment to immigrant rights that, that he mentioned in the campaign trail, right? And most importantly, I think, um, you know, as Raiz says, we say all the time that during the last administration, Stephen Miller woke up every single day and said, how am I going to make the lives of immigrants and refugees miserable today? It's a little bit of embellishment, but not really. He is on record saying that that creating stricter immigration policies was the most important thing to him. Yes, he he is a staunch advocate of anti-immigrant policy, right? And and you know what what we're seeing is that currently in the Biden administration, right, there isn't a Stephen Miller on the flip side, right? We haven't seen a champion currently within the Biden administration who wakes up every day and says, I am going to push this administration to make sure that immigrants are treated with humanity, right? And that we pass the most progressive um, immigration policies. What we've seen, right, from the president himself is this doubling down on Trump era policies that don't benefit immigrants. And also from the vice president, you know, hearing comments from her, you know, that, that, that basically told Central American asylees and refugees to not come, right? Our president, Vice President Kamala Harris told folks fleeing violence to not come, to basically not exercise their international human right to seek asylum. So it, it, it is troublesome and it is, and it is worrisome. Um, but for those of us who have been doing immigrant rights organizing for at least a decade or over a decade, we know that the Democrats on their own will not act on behalf of immigrants based on their own values, right? So we as an immigrant community, as an immigrant rights community, um, that's why this year, as Raiz says, you know, one of our biggest campaigns has been called the Keep the Promise campaign. Mm-hmm. Because we've been through this before, right, with Obama, the past administration that this president recited over where we saw basically the building of this deportation machine, right? So um, we know that we need to continue to pressure and pressure Democrats hard to act on the good faith for immigrants. They're not going to do it on their own. Right. My last question for you is that this issue is not going away. Going to Central America and telling people do not come is not working, has not worked. With climate change, only going to get more obvious and more and more dramatic. On the other hand, you you don't really seem to have the political will from Democrats as a party to tackle this. So as we head into the next year of the Biden administration, I guess just speaking very frankly, do you think that there will be a recognition that there needs to be a change in approach? 
or the political to-do list and end up being a, a broken political promise. Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say definitely going into next year, it's going to be the job of immigrant rights organizers to keep immigration at the top of the agenda, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We know that President Biden and his administration isn't going to do it out of the goodness of their heart, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It is not, you know, something that they're advocating for. So as immigrant rights organizers, as Raiz says, we are going to be doubling down next year on accountability, right? Um, Because we were told that things would change, right? And um, we're not seeing that on the ground. And I would say specifically in Texas, right, we, you know, the number of, of detained people has skyrocketed under this presidency, right? We're currently working to free one of our clients, Juan Reina, who is not a priority for deportation, but is, you know, reaching 11 months in detention for a nonviolent offense, right? So I just think it's important for listeners and, and for folks out there to know that inaction um, has a consequence. And it has a cost on human lives, right? So in Texas, we also have skyrocketed child detention centers, right, that are called emergency shelter facilities to accommodate the unaccompanied children that are coming through the border, right? And these facilities are horrendous, right? And and we don't see things improving. So definitely next year, it's going to really rely on us immigrant rights organizers and advocates to continue to pressure the administration because we need an immigration fix in the United States. We need an immigration fix in this country. And what we do know, right, is that these policies of deterrence, right, these policies that make the journey to claim asylum or the journey, you know, to, to a new life harder, these policies don't work, right? They don't prevent folks from coming because individuals are coming because of climate change, political unrest, fear, safety, right? And what what happens with these policies of deterrence is that it just makes the journey harder so that we have more fatalities, right? More deaths at the border. So next year is definitely going to be a a continued uphill battle in ensuring that, you know, this current administration delivers on its promise. Because at the end of the day, we have the receipts. I always tell everyone, as the immigrant Mm -hmm. rights movement, right? We have the receipts, we have the clips, we have the promises. And it's time that Democrats deliver, right, on, on on those promises, but that won't happen unless we continue the pressure, right? Well, what, as an organizer, as Raya says, right, we saw a huge uproar and just public outcry with the policies that Trump was implementing, right? Um, we need to ensure that that public outcry and- that that it's a Democrat does not, yes, mean that it's yeah. a more humane policy. Mm-hmm. All right. Nancy Meza from Raya says, thank you so much thank for taking you, the time. You've been listening to Battle for the Soul of America, a three-part series from the New Statesman's World Review. Join us next time for our final episode in the series on voting rights, where we ask if American democracy is under threat. Remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. I've been Emily Tampkin in Washington, D.C., and this podcast was produced by Mae Robson. Until next time. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. 
Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.